let's pray, and then uh, we'll do something fun. We'll see. Uh, Betty, you can have as many sheets as you'd like. You can have double sheets today. It's double sheet day. Yeah, yeah, just like Culver's. All right, here we go. Let's pray, and then I'll give you everything you need. Lord Jesus Christ, you walked the way of the cross as an obedient servant of God. Open our ears, teach us by your spirit that we may not rebel, but rather walk in obedience as your disciples, as those who have learned from you, who with the Father and the Holy Spirit live, reign, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. All right, how you doing? Everybody okay? Notice I drilled the crowd down just a little bit from last week talking about this, but, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. Uh, you never know. Um, you know, but if you can learn to t- take the Ten Commandments as your friends, your life is going to be better and better. Amen. Um, so many things to do. All right. Uh, we're a little short on money for walk-in assistance, so if you can, you know, this is how pastors' lives go. You all leave last week, and a woman pulls up with three kids in her car, no place to go, and no food. So that's kind of, and people know, and people, people always know that if they come at the end of the day after you've left but before we can get out the door, that's when we're most soft-hearted because they play the odds. We want to go home too or get to the hospital or do whatever it is. So we're particularly vulnerable at that time, which is okay. I mean, if you're savvy enough to figure that out, good for you. Um, but, you know, there's so many people who need stuff. So if you can drop a little something in there, that'd be good. Um, anything about last week? I mean, I got a load of stuff back, but anything from you? Questions about anything? Um, let's see. Uh, you know, among the things that I was reminded of from all of you last week is that the um, that, that we at times take the um, commandments for granted, and maybe there's more to them than we remember. I ran you a long stretch from the eighth commandment today in at the offering point. I'll ru- I'll probably refer to that a little bit later and. I'll probably run you some other long stretches. Maybe it is. Maybe we just forgot, you know, what the commandments are like. Maybe, maybe you don't know what they're like, uh, or maybe you don't see the nuances. So, you know, that's great. Uh, let's see if we can figure that out. It does pinch us a little bit, you know, but the law always pinches us. It's difficult to say. It's difficult to hear that we're wrong, all of us, and it's difficult for me to say to you you're wrong, and it's difficult for you to say uh, to other people you're wrong. One of the interesting things I've noticed in the over the last year is that there are more and more people who are walking away from gossipy conversations. That's fine. That's good. Good start. But the real Christian thing to do is to stay in the conversation and stop it. Uh, to make it uncomfortable, uncomfortable for people to lie. We can't just we can't walk away and make ourselves comfortable while people continue to lie. We have to stay in the conversation and make it uncomfortable for people to lie. You can read all that in the Eighth Commandment point. Um, so I, I, you know, and there's, I'm trying to um, kind of push the margin comments toward this. Marty gave me, uh, Kenneth Bailey's a brilliant guy. He made his name by, uh, he grew up in the Middle East. He did a PhD. He's not a Lutheran, but he did a PhD at the, at the seminary in St. Louis. And then he went back to the Middle East, and he spent his career taking Bible stories and telling them to Bedouins, telling them to Middle Eastern cultures. He'd roll into a little village or up to a tent and say, I'm going to tell you a story. There was a man who had a son. And then he says, you tell me what they said. And what he's done is learned all kinds of interesting things because Middle Eastern culture hasn't changed that much. In any case, um, he's an older man now, and he's offered some reflections on what it means to forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Um, It's very poignant, and it'll be for the next five Sundays, all the way to Palm Sunday, this Sunday and the next. Um, the first comment, the welcome, will reflect that. You might want to have a read.
navigate through that. It's very, very helpful. I'll also say, as you do your own reading, it's very helpful to us if you find something that you find particularly striking and you give it to us. We love to run stuff uh, as margin comments. That's very helpful for us. So um, have a look at that. But I also want to give you a very short uh, reprise of Women's Bible Study on Friday, where for some reason, um, I think because of the freedom in there and because of the cohesiveness of that group, more heavy lifting gets done there than almost anywhere else. Um, I just want to, I'm just going to give you five minutes of what we did because I, I, was, I was struck by how it went, actually. So I wonder, if, do you have a bulletin in front of you? If you have a bulletin, does everybody have a bulletin? Maybe you could share a bulletin. You could certainly run and get one if you want. Um, I just turned to page four. Uh, there's a brilliant sermon. This is a brilliant sermon by David Skayer. Um, a few years ago, I gave you part of this sermon where he said, expect nothing in return. If you're a Christian, expect nothing in return. If you're a leader in a congregation, expect nothing in return. If you're a pastor, expect nothing in return. Jesus never expects anything in return. Sorry, Jack. Um, the way of grace is he, he, gives you, he gives you his gift and expects nothing in he does that without expecting anything in return. He hopes for it, but uh, the Christian life. So we had this very interesting conversation. In fact, um, this is how far we got. I said, we'll do Psalm 136 today, and then we, that's the last thing we talked about for the next hour and 45 minutes about what, what was going on. The real issue that we dealt with is how you deal with friends that you might be alienated from. And so uh, I'm going to just give you, give you a little five-minute, just a little five-minute summary of that, which is, the, the, which is Jesus and the commandments applied. So, um, and here's the other thing. You know, in my own head, I'll just tell you, and this is always where things happen. In this hour, you come to this hour, you'll know more than anybody else in the congregation. This is where the heavy lifting is done because this is where the scriptures are studied. So I'll just tell you, I think next week in my own head, I haven't talked to the other pastors about this, <clears throat> but I think about next week, I think I'm pretty much done talking about the past year or two. Uh, just in my own mind, I think we have faced up to it. I think that we've given every opportunity for people who want to uh, talk with each other to talk. Uh, and I think that we really need to uh, begin to talk about something else, which is our new life together, and especially as we move next door. That doesn't mean, and I want to be very clear about this, that doesn't mean there's not a lot of work that uh, we need to do as pastors and people. Uh, it, for us pastors, it means we have a checklist. We're about number 59 going to about 159, and we're going to keep moving with that. But I think you're going to see the focus, uh, at certainly by Easter, but I suspect over the balance of Lent, to come off. Because in some sense, um, we've looked this right in the eye, and now we've talked it to death, and now it's time to move on. And, and really kind of things have settled between people who want to move on and people who want to hold on. The people who want to hold on are very few, hold on to the troubles. The people who want to move on are very great. And so, you know, we're just about there. Um, things go wrong in a congregation. You have to look them in the eye. But uh, you don't look them in the eye forever. At some point, um, you, you get cooking. But what I would hope for in the future uh, for this congregation is that we would be, and that you see this almost nowhere in congregations, which is why congregations always blow up, that we would be the kind of congregation where confession and forgiveness, the kind of AOR stuff we've learned, the kind of things that we've been through, um, are not the exception. And I've been talking to you about this for 10 years. It started way back 10 years ago when I first talked to you about private confession and suggested to you 
when people see private confession as an abnormal thing or a thing you do when you've done a really bad sin as opposed to the normal thing, that tells you something about us. The reality is another place where we see as an abnormal thing is when we finally screw up the courage to go to somebody and say, you sinned against me and we need to square it up. Or when I go to somebody and say, I've sinned against you and I'm very sorry. If we can do one thing over the rest of our life together, and I mean over the next 10 or 20 years, if you want to be known as a congregation that's different than any other congregation, what you and I will learn to do is to make confessing and forgiving and moving on the normal thing, which is what we try to do every Sunday. It's why every Sunday starts with, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us, right? Nor the normal thing is to admit our sins the normal thing is to forgive, and the normal thing is to move on. The abnormal thing is never to admit our sins until we get caught, and then we get caught, fight about it, and then fight about it, divide up and scatter, and then let everything, although most churches are like that, because we don't understand the most basic thing, which is the forgiveness of sins, okay? So I'm gonna just give you, uh, and part of the reason, I'm gonna tell you where I'm gonna end, which is, one of the great problems in the last year or two, and I've said this to you repeatedly, but I'd like you to memorize it and say it to yourself when you wake up in the middle of the night, <clears throat> much of what we have done in the last two years has been worked out on subjective judgment and emotion. And where I started three weeks ago was that has no place, no primary place in loving God. Because the primary place, Jesus said very clearly, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. Love is objective action according to the Ten Commandments. I've tried to sum it for you in the sermons by saying, love is saying yes to what is holy and no to what is unholy. It is that simple. The problem is you and I can't have our own definitions of what's holy and unholy. Jesus gives us very clear definitions in the Ten Commandments, what's holy and unholy, and he gives us very clear definitions in his own life. He lived the holy and he avoided the unholy. Okay. I'm not saying emotion is not important. I'm not saying emotional people are bad. I'm not saying you don't need emotion in the church. We try every week to create an atmosphere where emotion can flourish through smell, through sight, through music, you know, through engagement. But love is, in the first regard, objective. It is loving God and serving your neighbor. And the most difficult thing, at least for Lutherans, at least while I've been in the church, is that people cannot, will not say that, well, they cannot, will not stop with the basic sins that tear a place apart. They cannot, will not say they're sinners. They cannot, will not say they're sorry, except in the most general way when nothing specific gets nailed down. So if you want to be a great congregation, if you want to be a congregation that brings people to Christ, if you want to be a congregation that holds together if you want a congregation that has a strategy, if we need a strategy, you know, one of the very few things that you need is to be a congregation where you stay in the conversation, you analyze it according to what's holy and what's not holy, you confess where you've sinned, and you forgive where you've been sinned against. And you also expect and, re and require that of other people. That'll make this congregation different from any other congregation. That makes sense? Okay. So, I'll just give you the most practical thing. What do you do with a friend or a relationship that's gone bad? 
Um, I'll put this question to you as I did to the woman. When that person comes to mind, or when you bump into that person in the grocery store, think of people who have left, think of people even in the congregation that you're angry with, think of people who have hurt you in some way. When that person comes to mind in the morning, um, when you bump into that person at a ball game or high school or the shopping center, how do you react? I would suggest to you there's two possible reactions. I'm trying to make this as easy as I can. You'll see that person as a friend or a foe. My guess is our natural reaction when we've been hurt is to see people as a foe. Okay, now I give you scare here on the left-hand column on page four. The hardest commandment to keep is this one, love your enemies. But this is not a commandment. It is a description of God. God's nature is mercy. This Bible study is about practical mercy. The most practical mercy is loving your enemies. This is not a commandment. This is who God is. This is who you are meant to be. That you would love your enemies and not destroy them. It is what God is all about. He loves his enemies because they are his enemies. He is not their enemy. That great? He has no enemies. You want to live the life of Jesus? Have no enemies. So when you see somebody who has wronged you, who has hurt you horribly, who has deserted you, who has befriended you and then betrayed you, you have a choice when you see them. You can see them as friend or as enemy. If you are a Christian, you only have the choice of seeing them as friend. Jesus has no enemies. You have no enemies. So I can tell you this is how the two paradigms work. And this is horrible, and it's been in the Lutheran Church at least since I've been alive and since our, our synod split you know, in the 70s. The paradigm coming out of the split in our church was you identify your enemies and you destroy them. That is utterly anti-Christ. That has filtered down in our church for the last 40 years. We cannot be that kind of church. And when we got in trouble, we defaulted to that because that's what people do because that's how we all grew up. If the church split when I was 12 and I'm 52 now for 40 years, this church body has been defining itself by identifying its enemies and then destroying them, primarily through the tongue. Okay? It's a new day. You have no enemies. If you are a Christian, you have no enemies, which means you may not speak ill toward another person, you may not act ill toward another person. You may not do anything except raise people up in Christ. Jesus has no enemies. You have no enemies. Now here's the problem. The first problem is not having any enemies. The second problem is, as soon as we say, okay, I'm going to love somebody, we suddenly divine love is making them feel good rather than telling them the truth. To love somebody is to tell them the truth. This is the truth, that we all sin and break the Ten Commandments, but Christ is greater than our sin, so with repentance and forgiveness, we live together as the body of Christ gathered around the Eucharist. That's the truth. 
The truth is that even if you sin against me, you are not my enemy, and the kindest thing I can do is objectively, according to the Ten Commandments, tell you why you've hurt me according to the Ten Commandments, and beg that we could go forward in forgiveness together. That's very different than emotional or subjective love, as in, I didn't get my way, or I don't think that's right, or it doesn't feel good. Love actually often feels very bad. If you don't believe that, come back on Good Friday. The love of Good Friday feels bad, but it is the purest form of love. Okay? So when you see people who have sinned against you, you do two things. One is to say, that person is not my enemy. And then you'll say, I will love that person by telling them the truth according to the Ten Commandments. Got it? You understand? I mean, here's what's happening in the congregation. What's happening in the congregation is we knew a lot of doctrine. In fact, even the AOR guys said we know a lot of doctrine. In fact, um, Pastor, I think it was Pastor, I don't know if it was Gaining or Nelson, had, had uh, lunch with one of the very large churches in Wheaton, and one of the pastors said, the difference between my church and your church is you know a lot of doctrine, but you don't do it. He said, we do a lot of stuff, but we don't know any doctrine. Isn't that interesting? Kind of the difference between evangelicals and Lutherans. Lutherans know a lot of doctrine, but they don't do it. Evangelicals do a lot of stuff, but they don't know any doctrine. So the reason they were meeting is he was saying, how can we teach, how can we, evangelicals, teach our people more doctrine? Isn't that interesting? Okay, so where have we failed? Where have we come short? We apparently haven't given you the tools to put doctrine into action. Okay, here's the tool. When you see a person that you have, you immediately react to with a bad stomach, with a bad soul, a bad heart, you tell yourself, that is not my enemy. That is my brother and sister in Christ. And you love them by telling them the truth, as it is defined by the Ten Commandments, and then Christ, who keeps the Ten Commandments perfectly for us and forgives us. Have you got it? Yes, Jack Smith. You should pray for them all the time. They're not your enemies. In fact, but you're even supposed to pray for your enemies, right? So, yeah, you pray for them constantly. In fact, one of the ways to, this is a more broad thing, one of the ways you stop hating somebody, if you hate somebody, I can tell you how to stop hating for them. Pray for them three times a day for the next three years. Then come back and tell me if you still hate them. It's impossible to hate somebody you pray for all day long. It's impossible. If you pray for them in the way of God bless them, God give them peace, God guide them, God mercy them. Yeah. Okay. Which you remember is where we started clear back a zillion years ago when we started with hope on the far side of this board. We kind of went across the board from evil through anger, through justice and mercy, through growth to hope. The only reason you can ever have hope for your future is that you know that the Lord will care for people and sort it out. So you pray that the Lord will sort them out, but you don't pray for them that the Lord will sort them out. You know? <laughs> you pray that the Lord will sort them out. He'll bring them to repentance, he'll love them, and that you'll sit with them at the Eucharist in heaven. That's what you're trying to do. Now the problem is, unless you know what the Ten Commandments say, um, even if you can screw the courage up, you won't know what the next word is, okay? And, you know, that's one of the, one of the surprising things over the last week of the people who came and talked to me were, um, I didn't say this about them, they said this about themselves. 
I for, I've forgotten how much was in the Ten Commandments, which was partly why I gave you such a long discourse on the Eighth Commandment, because the Eighth Commandment, the tongue, has been our particular thing. Um, you know, if you have your bulletin, I mean, I'm not going to read all of this. You can take it home. This is just a little bit of a large catechism, but um, the Eighth Commandment forbids sins of the tongue by which we injure or offend our neighbor. That's the first line. Um, now look at this, the next line. To avoid this vice, we note that nobody has the right to judge and reprove his neighbor publicly. That is, you can never say publicly a sin about another person. How's that? So even if you know a sin about somebody, if you talk about it, you sin. There are a few exceptions clear at the end, but just hold that for a second. If you know a sin about somebody, even if, if I'm a sinner and you talk about it publicly, you're a sinner now too. Okay? Those are called backbiters, third one, who are not content just to know but rush ahead and judge. Learning a bit of gossip about somebody else, they spread it to every corner, relishing and delighting in it like pigs roll in the mud. Yeah? Um, and then how you, how you use your sword. Look in the middle of that. Why shouldn't I speak of it if it's the truth? I reply, why don't you bring it to the regular judge? Oh, I can't prove it publicly. I might be called a liar and sent away in disgrace. Ah, now you smell the roast, says Luther. So you weren't trying to be restored afterwards. Turn the page. Every report that can't be adequately proved is false witness. So unless you can prove it, you can't speak of it. But actually, and now this is going to chafe you probably the most, is the last paragraph. So you see that we are absolutely forbidden to speak evil of our neighbor. Exception is made, however, for civil magistrates, preachers, and parents. I'll just give you an example from Pastor Nelson this week. Somebody said to him, you're a liar. And he said, I'm actually not a liar. And then the person said, then we'll get a third party to, 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 to make the judgment between us. And Pastor Nelson said, I am the third party. I'm the pastor. That's the fourth commandment and the eighth commandment. One of the great problems in this congregation, it happened in the very first month I was here, somebody came down and put a floppy Bible on my desk. You're always wary of people with floppy Bibles. <laughs> Lutherans are hardbound kind of people. <laughs> put a floppy Bible down on my desk and said, I know just as much about the scriptures as you do, and you'll never tell me anything while I'm here. And, you know, it doesn't matter that you study. It doesn't matter that you're pastor. It doesn't matter you are. Actually, you can say what you want. But part of what comes with the pastoral office is I have a different right with you, which is I can speak evil publicly. I can't speak about evil publicly, and you can't, because I'm a pastor and you're not. That's part of the office. Now, the bonus prize at the end is I have to answer to Jesus. You only have to answer to each other. But at some point, I have to answer to Christ for that. That's part of the office. One of the problems in this congregation is the office of pastor is utterly misunderstood as just another guy. One of the interesting things of the young guys has been I've watched them kind of, um, I had a different reaction, but I was in a different congregation. I sort of let that go, probably to my own, uh, and maybe to your own uh, detriment. Uh, what I notice in the young guys is they don't let it go at all. And what I notice in really young people who are coming into the congregation, postmoderns actually want that. It's fascinating. They want authority, they want order, they want truth. So um, there's probably, uh, your pastor's not just another guy. Your pastor is put into place 
He's trained, he's examined, he's experienced, and he's put into place to be judged. You may or may not like that, but that's the fourth and eighth command, but it's also what ordination is. So there should be kind of some reflection on that. The rules are actually of the game are different for me than they are for you. Um, but then I'm going to have to answer differently to the Father than you are, because I have to answer for everybody under my care. So it's a different kind. It's a different kind of life. And we probably over the next you know 10 years probably should start exploring that. So for your next pastor, you kind of get that right. That'd be a good thing to get right. Okay, how's that? So I mean, there's a very basic tool for you to use when you see somebody who gets you all verklempt, your choice is friend or foe. Jesus doesn't have any enemies, therefore you don't have any enemies. What do you do with your friends? You speak the truth to your friends. What's the truth? Christ. How do we know Christ? By his life. What did he do in his life? He lived the Ten Commandments, and more than that, he told you what the Ten Commandments were so that you could repent and live them as well. It's extraordinarily practical. Okay. And, you know, my advice to you would be buy a large catechism or I'll give you a large catechism or study a large catechism if you need to know the nuances. But um, uh, as the scriptures say, you know, be careful if you hold yourself up as a teacher um, because they can come back to get you. Okay? Okay? Questions about any of that? That's just an extraordinarily practical thing. Yes, please. Yes. 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 I actually have thought about this in the context. So is the evil one ultimately our enemy? Yes. So um, the only person that Jesus is against is the Antichrist, but only because Satan forces Jesus to be against him. He won't ever let Jesus be for him. See, the only way Jesus is ever against you or against me, <laughs> Jesus wants to be for me. The only reason he's not a for me, if you say or if I say, I don't want you, I'll go on my own. For Adam and Eve, I don't want you all go on my own. Israel, I don't want you all go on my own. Peter, Judas, I don't want you all go on my own. And then you and I, I don't want you, I'll go on my own. If anybody's damned, it's their own damn fault, right? Except I told you you couldn't say damn last week, so you have to figure out theologically. Back when I was more fun, I used to have a designated swearer in con 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 confirmation. You didn't know this, did you? And one kid say damn and one said hell. So whenever I needed a, a swear, I could get it out. I had a damn kid and a hell kid. Damn, damn, hell, damn, hell. <laughs> However, these were purely a theological context. And if you volunteered to be the swear kid, you had to actually go to seminary, which is how we got so many people going on. <laughs> but we don't do that anymore because we're not that fun. We're too scared now, okay? So, uh, you know, fear takes the fun out of life. All right? You still Okay. So I'm just telling you, just practical, just practical stuff. All right, anything? Yes, please. Keep teaching us this stuff. You said that we need to learn the tools. We do need to learn the tools. And yeah. The more that you can do this, the yeah. better, more beneficial it is. I'll give you another quick example. Yes, please. Um, uh, Pastor Gainick chanting, you know, some people complain about that seems too Roman Catholic. We need yes, to right. understand and learn why that's important, <laughs> why it's important, why we should do it. Well, we should just hear it because it's fun. And also because music is the way kids learn. Um, and also because there are a lot of people who join this congregation because he chants. I'm, not, I'm just a real serious. I probably have 40 letters from people who join because he, he chants. So the rest of us have to decide that we'll just, you know. We didn't chant, in fact, during the chaos of the last six months. 
we didn't use icons, we didn't use incense, and we didn't chant. We pulled back from things that people were kind of complaining about. But, you know, here's the thing. I'm just telling you, after next week, next week the text is uh, dig some manure around the tree and then get on with it. I lived in Iowa. I know what that smells like, okay? <laughs> but I also know beyond that. So after about next week, I mean, I'm just like, here we go, okay? Because pretty much everybody knows where they are right now. This is, and I'm not talking about battle lines being drawn. I want you to understand. I'm talking about you either want to go forward or you don't. It's Herod, it's Jerusalem, it's the way of Jesus. So, and maybe we screwed up, okay? Um, maybe we didn't, uh, you know, we screwed up. You know, we should have done this five years ago, ten years ago. I don't know if you'd have listened five years, ten years ago. Maybe you listen because it's been so painful. Maybe I teach because it's been so painful. Whatever. I'm repentant of my entire life to this very moment. And you're right. Let's try to go forward and see if we can figure it out. But I would, if I had a, you know, somebody was moaning the other day that there's no strategy for the congregation, I, well, you know, partly my answer is, when was the last time we talked about anything remotely that had to do with building the congregation? That's my sassy side, how I repent of that. And then the second thing I'd be is, basically, you only need, need about two things in a congregation at this point in, in a postmodern world. You need a catechumenate where people learn, and you need um, a good stiff dose of uh, AOR kind of stuff, which is how to deal with each other when you sin. And churches are horrible at both of those things. They're horrible at learning, and they're horrible at forgiving, which is really weird because to be a disciple is to sit in the dust to learn to forgive. So you can just tell how far away we are from what we're supposed to be. Okay? So basically, if you want to know where the congregation is going, at least as far as I'm concerned, I can just tell you. There's Christ who gives himself in the Eucharist, and you're either in the catechumenate constantly learning about that, and that would be all the normal things we talk about, Christ, scripture, prayer, the divine service, acts of mercy, words of witness, care of the soul, generous giving. Yeah, that's one side. Kind of the other side is you're peeved at somebody, so you either need to be forgiving or be forgiven. And you work in the reconciliation side, and those two sides sort of intersect. And what we need to come to, just honestly, what we need to come to, I need to be able to see very easily I'm very sorry, and not to have to have a flipping voters meeting over that, and for you to say, I forgive you, and you need to do the same thing. And if we got so far away from that that we couldn't figure that out, then it's on us. But I'll just tell you, as far as I'm concerned, those days are over. I mean, at the end of this slant, it is Easter, and I'm moving on, and you should too, okay? And I, and I mean that in a positive way. I mean a positive way of we carry everything forward we learned, and, you know, let's live together. Right, so let's be careful what we say. Me too. Okay, let's be careful how we act. You know, me too. But let's care for each other. But part of it is, is fear really does take the joy out of life. If you feel like you're always going to be whacked, I mean, why would you show up here? Why would you come? You know, I mean, think about the poor kids. No designated swearer this year. Some kid somewhere will never get that on his resume. It'll be sad for them. Still okay? Uh, we can't do too much. Pick up your little, but that's okay because doing too much of this kind of hurts you. Yeah? Go ahead. I'm sorry. Karen, how are you? I can always count on you, Karen. You're a nice woman. Nothing ever slides by you. Karen!
you or me? No, That's right. And so I guess what I'm wondering is is how the how the memory plays into this and how you how you prayerfully work your way through that process so that you're not still remembering. Will that make any sense? No, it makes complete sense because memory is the you don't have to bump into people in the jewel store um, in order to be angry about them. In fact memory is more potent. On Palm Sunday, the last bit, which Mar the thing that Marty gave me that you're going to see serialized the next five weeks, the last one is fascinating because it actually says, I'll, I'll leave it for you to read, but it actually talks about how our imagination is evil, is more potent than evil itself. So the memory of what people did to us and how we scramble it up and how it just continues to grow. But I will suggest to you, you do exactly the same thing, which is when someone comes to memory, you, you ask yourself, friend or foe, if you're a Christian, the answer is always friend. And then the answer is, and now you have to work at this, how do I engage that? Um, I just, at that point, let me just give you a couple of bits of practical advice. Have some patience. Um, you know, what I would like is a congregation where we could, you know, you could say to me, Pastor, you sinned against me, and I could say to you easily, I'm very sorry. Our lag time in this congregation is about two years right now. <laughs> Should be about two seconds. So one is to give it some patience. We're not very good at this. We're not experienced at it. Two would be, I did in fact say to you, you know, if you steal from the congregation, we forgive you, but you can't be the treasurer again. And I, we'll talk about that in a week or two when we talk about restitution, which Lutherans are horrible because they confuse it with penance because they get it before <coughs> forgiveness rather than after. If you rob a bank here and you've got to give the money back, okay, that's restitution. If you say ill about somebody else, you got to say positive things about them. If you tell a lie to somebody, you got to go back to every person that you told the lie to and untell it. And if you said it publicly, you probably should stand up publicly and say publicly, I'm a liar, please forgive me, and then the proper response would be, please forgive me. But I will push my previous comment to you um, to an even more hopeful place. I heard Fred Needner once preach. Um, Fred Needner's an old friend of mine from Falcone, you know, I heard him once preach where he said, we'll know that we've fully forgiven when we begin to name our children Judas again. We'll know, we'll know that we're fully, that we're fully for, we know that we fully forgive when we begin to name our children Judas again. So that would be the next step beyond what I said. So Karen, the next step beyond what that would be the, 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 the sort of the full stretch of forgiveness would be the person who stole from the congregation did in fact get to be treasurer again and everybody was okay with that. That would be quite a con congregation. All those little Judases running around. <laughs> I mean, you can, here's the thing, I've said this to you a hundred times, you create your own reality. Any congregation creates its own reality. You create the environment you want. You can create an environment that's irritating and it's divisive, and nobody ever wants to come, and you'll shrivel up and die. Or you can create a reality where people can come and be sinners, not be perfect, and be forgiven and still live together. Where they'll atone, they'll, they'll make restitution for their sins once they've been forgiven. And, um, you know, 
someday people who hurt you deeply will come to be your friends again. And that's where you're aiming at. So I'm just, I'm just sort of telling you, I'm just giving you fair warning. Kind of a mental switch for me. I've had enough. My judgment is that you've had enough. Um, I don't say that with any sort of peak or uh, it's emotionless. We've just done enough. We've looked stuff in the eye. We've seen enough. But that doesn't mean we forget everything we've learned. We're going to go forward and be smarter, better, more loving. Um, and I just ask you to be intolerant of unholy things in me or in anybody else. Just be intolerant of it. Touch the holy things. Don't touch the unholy things. It's very simple. And we'll talk about how that works, okay? That's how you live together as a congregation. All right. Uh, anything else? Got two minutes. Did nothing but that today, but it's okay. Um, go to the Eucharist. Love the people who are across the rail from you. Uh, if you just take a look at the other commandments, if you begin to think about them, if you'd examine yourself, just uh, I even myself working through this this week, ten commandments in a day is, if you use that little book, is too much to do. Just do one a day. But mostly, if you can think about people, not as your enemy, but as Christ's redeemed, with whom you want to be at the Eucharist again, um, you'll be a different kind of church. Okay? All right, love you. Thanks. Um, let's pray. Uh, we'll see you next week, okay? Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. All right, thanks. Try to love each other this week. See what happens.